Welcome, yes, welcome to the second episode of the Syracuse Football Podcast. I'm Julian Wiggum alongside Stephen Bailey, and we've got a lot to get into this week. Um, I am perplexed. I don't know how you felt about this game, Stephen, but uh, watching this game, uh, I didn't expect this. And I know there's a lot of people who are listening who are saying, Julian Wiggum, you lied. You lied to me. You told me that we had a great defense that was going to shut down their offense. You told me that our offense was going to figure it out. Coach Babers has a great game plan. They were going to spread out the ball and get some points. And none of that seemed to happen. So I just want to start this thing off. Steven, you're around this team much more than I am. And going into the week, uh, there was a lot of questions on the outside wondering, are they going to overlook Maryland? Is this a trap game? Did you get a sense from players that they – uh, seem to be overlooking this game? Were they giving you kind of the roundabout talking about Maryland? Did it seem like they were looking towards a, um, a, a Clemson? I didn't, I didn't think so at the start of the week. And I was getting ready to leave for Maryland, and I was watching all of the, the in-house videos for Syracuse. And Brian Higgins is interviewing Lakeem Williams, a linebacker. And, and at the end of the interview, he asked him, you know, Maryland scored 79 points, admittedly against Howard. Does that get your attention? Uh, and, and he basically said, no, you know, you know, you know, no, it doesn't. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but no, it doesn't. You know, we have confidence in our defense. You know, I'm not, I'm not worried about it. And to me, that was the first kind of inkling that, you know, this defense has extreme confidence and you can understand why after how last year went and, and last week went against Liberty. Uh, but, but when you saw him out there, it just looked like, it just looked like a boxer getting punched in the mouth who wasn't expecting it. And, you just kind of lost track of the game plan. You saw guys making out-of-character decisions, linebackers uh, trying to make plays, missing their spots, safeties being put in bad spots, taking bad angles, uh, defensive ends not, you know, not getting the pressure that, that, that you would have hoped, uh, defensive backs mixing up assignments and, and calls. So, you know, it devolved really, really quickly. I think a lot of credit has to go to Maryland, but, you know, D Dino Baber said it. You know, this is, this is humble pie for them. This is an opportunity – <laughs> to look to look themselves in the eyes and, and and realize this isn't the 2018 team, you know. There's a lot of different guys out there. This is the 2019 team, and they need to figure out who they are. So, yeah, you know, to an extent, I do think they took Maryland lightly. And and cornerback Chris Frederick said, you know, that this this should be a wake up call. So, <laughs> lucky for them, they get Clemson <laughs> on Saturday. And uh, I can tell you this: I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure they are fully locked in now. Yeah, and I, I think that's the biggest thing for a, a a college football team. And you've got a bunch of uh, amateur athletes. I remember uh, back when I was playing, the, the big thing, and it less so when I was at Syracuse because we usually came off of losing seasons. But <laughs> uh, when I was with the Steelers, uh, Coach Tomlin was always saying, what we did last year doesn't matter anymore. You, you come back, there are guys that aren't here anymore. Then they can play. So you guys got to be ready to, and, and that the, the sentiment was that was last year. This is this year. You guys need to be ready to go because you're not going to be good just because a bunch of people say you're going to be good, right? And and you can get caught up in that. Thinking back to I think it was a 2014 season. Of course, it was Maryland. It was Maryland. We had just beaten. I think we just had barely gotten out of Villanova. I think it was. And I oh, think, on the trick play was it Riley Dixon to Kendall Moore? Of. Uh, I think it's a fake field goal. You know, yeah, well, uh, for, right? Vill for Villanova? Am I mixing them up? Yes, slightly. Uh, I think so. Because Villanova, we got off of a field goal. 
Oh, that was uh, the one they missed, right? It was the one they uh. missed. And then we ended up getting Maryland the next weekend, and it was, Notre Dame was the game after that, right? And I remember, one, we got chewed out because Villanova, the game was way too close. None of the coaches liked that. And we were getting the Maryland, and I'm looking at the schedule, and, and it was weird. I've always looked at the schedule like, oh, we could beat them, we could beat them. And Maryland was always like, my, yeah, they're, they're going to catch this L. So... We get to Maryland, and I remember going through the week. Monday, we head off. Tuesday, everybody, like, kind of lines up and shine. That's where you hang out with, you know, your girlfriend and all your friends and all that. And everyone was talking about, yo, we win this game. We're definitely on the 8 p.m. Notre Dame game, right? <laughs> uh, we're getting Dame Day and all that, right? And I'm like, yeah, we're definitely getting And everyone's getting all excited thinking about what it's going to feel like at nighttime against Notre Dame. Daryl Gross was hyped. Yeah, everyone, people are talking, <laughs> and, and we don't feel like it's wrong because everyone else is talking about it. You know, we, we're hearing all the university people saying, oh, Notre Dame, Notre Dame, Notre Dame, and naturally it creeps in your locker room. Your head coach, Coach Shape, is he's thinking about Maryland. I mean, obviously, he wants to win that game. And we're like, okay, we'll get it. Put a game plan in. We'll figure it out. Get to the next game. Of course, we end up losing to Maryland, getting chewed out again. And now we're trying to get back to Notre Dame, and, and, and things just didn't work out the way they're supposed to. It is certainly possible that you can overlook an opponent. And, but there's, all, there's always going to be an emphasis on uh, the day-to-day. -day. We need to get this done. We need to get that done. But it certainly seemed like this weekend Syracuse was not prepared the right way for this game just because of how many uh, schematic issues there were. The schematically, like from the, the linebacker perspective, from the secondary perspective, and the, the universal Yo, what's going on sign is when you got your arms out and you're looking at your safety. I've done it a, a thousand times. Sometimes it might have been my fault, but it's on TV, so I got to make sure <laughs> they know. Or it really was their fault, and I got to put the arms out like, yo, man, stop getting me in trouble. So, and, and you can see it from the linebackers as well, and it just seemed like at every level, whether it was uh, Maryland rushing the football, throwing the football, and, and hats off the Maryland's offense, one. That was another thing, too. They, they have a phenomenal offense. I think they're going to be a lot better than people think this year. But just from a schematic uh, sentiment for, for, for Syracuse's defense, every single issue they ran into from Maryland's offense seemed to compound each other. And what I mean by that is run plays. We're mixing up and crossing up linebackers, not knowing where to be. Even the defensive line, who rarely gets criticized for some reason. We start doing that more. <laughs> but even the defensive line, not being in their gap, the, in the correct gaps, linebackers not sure where to go against the run. All of a sudden, RPO play action starts coming in, throwing it right behind linebackers who are trying to step up. That turns into secondary guys trying to overcompensate for certain plays because they see one thing, then boom, it looks like something, and then boom, right behind you. So uh, lots of hats off against this Maryland offense, but there were so many things done well by, by them that it, it just seemed to confuse this defense where they, they just were not uh, stayed to their own keys and, and really got off balance this week. Too right. couple quick things. It was Riley Dixon to Kendall Moore after Villanova ah, missed the field goal. Ah, okay. Very exciting season opener in the Dome. <laughs> and it's, it's funny you mentioned overcompensating because Andrew Armstrong, Syracuse's uh, weak side linebacker, talked about that. And, and I've, I've rewatched some of the games so far, and you can kind of see how overcompensating goes into – anticipation. Mm -hmm. You think you know what's coming. They, Maryland did a really nice job running at this RPO sweep type play and where they'd pull their center and one of their guards and they'd get outside and, and they'd make Syracuse's linebackers 
go down the line and, and make tough plays against good backs. The linebackers were okay at it. You saw a lot of gains of five or six, but then they mixed in a couple things. You saw Josh Jackson pull the ball on Maryland's third, dri third drive, go left, draw Armstrong, and then throw smoke. He threw it out to his right wide receiver. Yep. Melfon couldn't get off the block. They got 17, 18 yards. Later in the drive, they showed the same look. Andre Sisco is up there. He's ready. He's ready for that sweep. Well, Jackson pulls it. Tight end gets two steps on Sisco coming across. Another 15, 20 yards down to the two-yard line. So great job uh, by Mike Loxley and Scotty Montgomery, Maryland's offensive coordinator. I think they really called a good game. But you could see once Syracuse's defense got behind, they did try and push. They did start trying to overcompensate and make plays. Now, what I want to ask you, Julian, is you've been in that situation before. How do you go into a week where everything fell apart, where guys are not following through on their assignments in the, in the secondary, trying to make plays? How do you get back to, like, all right, like, let's keep it simple. Like, this is where, what we're supposed to do. The easiest way to play fast is to, to know your reads and to, right. and to play simply, right? Right. It, it's, it's all study. At this point, the way they were getting beat was all neck up. None of it was physical, not reacting fast enough. They were just thinking. They were, all, they were just overthinking it and then making a mistake, thinking they're seeing one thing and getting another. It reminded me of playing it truly felt like playing Clemson. Like, that, that's exactly what they do. They give you eye candy all game long and then hit you over top for six. And that's exactly how Maryland was hitting. And the process then becomes how do we understand these concepts and what do we do as a defense to defend that. Uh, it, it, the bad part is it, it takes more than a week. You can't fix these things over a one-week uh, practice. It takes – two, three, four weeks of constantly seeing it, constantly being in a rhythm, constantly saying, oh, this is the check, this is the check. It's not like they have a camp to go over how to defend a Maryland or a Clemson offense. You're going to continue to see these concepts over and over and over again. And the one thing that makes me feel a little bit better is a lot of teams on the schedule don't run offenses like this. You're not going to see these schemes often. You'll see it against Maryland, which, again, I was surprised. Bye. Mike Loxley brought a lot of that from Alabama. That yes. short passing game, and yes. well, you know, it's remarkably efficient. A lot of those guys weren't here last year. You got a new quarterback, a new tight end in Tyler Mabry. You got, uh, they lost one of their top receivers in camp. So I was so impressed by it. It looked like watching a, a bunch of guys who'd played together for years, didn't mm -hmm. it? it? It sure did. And it, it, that's, that's testament to the scheme and how it quickly these guys can acclimate to it and get in rhythm with each other because I mean, you typically it takes time to understand how to have those timing patterns and all that and we saw that with DeVito and his receivers like, it's difficult to get that going and for those guys to do it so quickly at Maryland man hats off they're going to be a lot better than people think uh, credit to them I, I totally underestimated what they were going to be uh, but again, for this Syracuse defense, it's going to take some time to kind of get those concepts down where they need to be and understanding, okay, if we get this, this is how we defend it. But the thing is, and this is where I was disappointed, you guys are experienced already. You've seen this before. The secondary, one of my things was, oh, Chris Frederick's back there, Antoine Cordy's back for a 10th season. Like, these guys have seen. Evan Foster's a three-year starter. Yeah, exactly. These guys have seen these kinds of things. So even when I was watching Maryland, uh, against the Howard, and I'm seeing these kind of concepts pop up. I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool, but it's Howard. Like, you know, these guys have open corners. Like, they're terrible. They're, they're, you know, they're not going to be able to defend this. But Syracuse, I've seen this before. They're okay. They're fine. But then we're seeing mistakes as if they were freshmen and sophomores out there. So that that was worrisome to me. And I think Chris Frederick said it best. You know, we, we've got to come back and, and, and grow up a little bit and, and take this in. Uh, 
humble pie, like uh, Coach Baber said. But my fear is it's going to take a little bit longer than it should. Luckily, there aren't many teams on this schedule that run concepts like that. You'll see it again against Clemson, but not down the line. I mean, Louisville's, the Florida States, they're not running the in Pittsburgh's, Boston College, they're not running those teams. So in Western Michigan doesn't. There's going to be a lot of opportunities for Syracuse to win games, and they're not going to get beat the same way. Yeah, my thought is, obviously Clemson's a tough matchup, but then you got Western Michigan and Holy Cross at home. Two games that you should be yes. favored in heavily. You know, Western Michigan might be close. You, old pal Tim Lester, is, I'm sure he's going to bring some wrinkles into the dome. But you got a month before you go to NC State on Thursday mm. and then host Pitt on Friday, travel to Tallahassee to face a Florida State team. Who, who knows what they'll look like at that point, admittedly. Um, and then I think you got BC at home. So to me, that's the stretch. The defense has to kind of get that edge back. Um, but, but when I look at the game overall for, for Maryland, the weaknesses of this team – are what we thought they would be. The linebackers who looked great <laughs> against Liberty were taking one wrong step. If you go back and look at it, it was one of Maryland's early rushing touchdowns. Lakeem Williams was late late to the gap. A couple third and shorts. You know, he takes a wrong step, and then you hit Anthony McFarlane Jr., a thousand-yard rusher, on the shoulder. He's going to fall forward for three yards. You need to be hitting guys square. And, and look, we saw Ryan Guthrie and Kylie Wintner go through the same thing last year. Ryan Guthrie certainly did a great job. Second team All-ACC by the Wake Forest game, I think week six or seven. He was in the right spot. So can we see Lakeem Williams and Andrew Armstrong go through that growth? Because I think they're a little bit more athletic. Uh, the question is, are, are they working as hard? Are they able to take the lumps as well? And, and, and mentally, can they, can they do it against a team like Maryland that was going fast? I think Maryland's tempo was more effective than Syracuse's. It, it certainly was. And I'm going to do something that... Uh... For whatever reason, people don't seem to do, even though they always ask that they do it. Coach Babers, you said it starts with you, and I'm going to ask you, what's going on with the linebackers, sir? Because it's the <laughs> same problems that we had last year. And this is Julian Wiggum, the host and annoying guy, talking about Syracuse football. This is Julian Wiggum, the alumni, Julian Wiggum, the former player, with a whole bunch of friends asking the same questions. What's going on with the linebackers? Because these are the exact same problems that we saw last year. And we love seeing winning Syracuse football teams. Thank you for doing that. But if we can keep getting better, we love it. So what, what is up with the linebackers? Again, these are the exact same issues from last season. Guys not in their gaps. Guys too slow to the, to the hole. Like not understanding where they're supposed to be against the pass. Like, these are like constant. They're still coming up. And after a season of tape and mistakes and what not to do, typically you fix those things after 12 weeks and after an off season and then after a spring season and then after a summer. You know, so that's, that's frustrating to see, and that's something that needs to improve quickly because teams are going to continue to take advantage of that. Yeah, you look at Andrew Armstrong had a couple of rough missed tackles, and then Michael Jones, a true freshman, man, he had a, he had a tough day. Uh, got juked by, I believe it was, I believe it was McFarland on a 20-yard touchdown where they were one-on-one -on -one in the hole. McFarland planted his right foot. Jones leaned left, and, and off he went. You know, he had a, another missed tackle in the hole, and, you know, he is a true freshman. He's someone who's being forced into action, and, like I said, that group is inexperienced. Armstrong has been, been practicing there for a few years, and Lakeem had last year. But it, it, to me, it shows, and, and how those guys improve over the next month or so will, will have a huge effect on the overall outcome of the season. And for, for a second, I do want to – I think the front four will, will be okay, especially when McKinley Williams comes back at defensive tackle, which could be the Clemson game. We'll see what Dino Baber says tomorrow. But 
Man, that back five did not play like a unit that, that has a bunch of guys who, who think they're going to the NFL. You know, we saw Andre Sisco and Antoine Cordy mix up a coverage. We saw uh, Evan Foster get beaten in the flat for, for the first touchdown. It looked like guys who were kind of coasting. I know it's a, a noon game <laughs> on the road and, you know, not a packed stadium. I don't know if you're not getting up for it, but, but you know, what did you kind of see from that group? And, and, and to me, it just, aside from, you can kind of see that from the linebackers, but the secondary seemed to play so far below its potential in it, my it, eyes. It really did, and thought of the noon games, they really do suck. Yeah. Like, I, <laughs> I hear you on that. I was there at night, man. I was tired. They really do. Like, you wake up, you got guys knocking on your door super early in the morning, and you got to stretch and get yourself ready, and it's like, I, I really don't want to do this today. Like this, maybe and maybe I was just like the really like bad college player, but I know there's other guys like yo. It's Saturday, which is crazy to say, but it's like do this your job. So so yeah, twelve noon games are, are not it. Give me three fifteen, three thirty. But yeah, for the for the the back five, the secondary, they certainly were. They they seemed out of place, and it again. And I made this point a little bit earlier. The amount of experience that they have would suggest that these kind of concepts wouldn't be as difficult to defend as they were. And even outside of that, the preparation going into this game, uh, there were some things where I'm seeing guys scoring in the flat, the one touchdown to the running back, they're, they're, that a communication issue. So uh, when, you're, when you're a corner and you're talking to your linebacker, which is rare, but every so often you got to talk to your cousins too and let them know, hey, we've got this, I don't know what to check, ask you, whatever it would be, where if the back comes out to the flat, I'll take that. You take the inside route. You know, just little communication things. And that, that didn't seem to be there yeah. this week at all between whether it was cornerback safety, uh, safety linebacker, linebacker corner, that, that, those communication issues. And, again, these are early season problems that a lot of teams have. You know, the best ones seem to get rid of them very quickly. But a lot of teams have them, and it, it can hurt you quick early on. And unfortunately for Syracuse, they played a very good Maryland team who knew how to routinely, you know, create those issues. So got to clean that up. And the way that you do this is constantly repping it in practice as well. Talking to you guys and being annoying about it too. You know, things that you usually already can communicate. Oh, we got checked. We're going to cover over communicated. That's what you usually happens on the practice field, whether it's college or the pro game. So if they're over communicating these things, I think you and then the extra emphasis on oh it's Clemson, I think we see a little bit less of that less next week. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I think there's I, I don't remember exactly when in the game it was, I believe the first half, but Maryland put its second quarterback in, Tyler Prig Terrell Prig Prig Pigrum, excuse me, uh for two downs and, and Syracuse got him to third and three. Jackson comes in and he runs a little little route to his tight end on the left side, a little flat ball just for three yards. And you can see Evan Foster as, at the ball is snapped. He's, he's going to Lakeem Williams, and he's saying, hey, the running back's staying in. You mm. take the flat. I'm going up. And, you know, Lakeem was a step slow there. And he, yeah, they tackled him for four yards, but that's a first down. And, you know, that's, it's, it felt like things kind of compounded. But that's another example of just one of one of the additional things that kind of happened. Yeah, it, it, it's tough when you, when you've got young guys in there, guys in new positions, and I always call it first year starters. I, I still consider them rookies, even if they're juniors or seniors, because when you first get into the game and you start to uh, get in acclimates that game speed, man, and having to think uh, at that pace, it's much different than a scrimmage. It's much different than practice. To be actually there uh, with the wind blowing, the crowd going, and, and the quarterback yelling at you, making eye contact, man, it, it, it is certainly a um, 
an adjustment that guys have been making. It, it can be more difficult for, for some than others. So I know the defense is the primary cause of concern, and rightfully so, but let's, let's switch sides of the ball for a minute. Tommy DeVito is catching a lot of heat after these first two weeks. You know, what, what have you kind of seen from him, and particularly against Maryland? You know, how much of that do you believe is, is deserved? I'm going to the offensive line for this. I think that Tommy DeVito, he's made some mistakes. I don't think he's uh, where he will be come midseason. I think he looks more like a, uh, a young first-year starting quarterback than we all expected him to be. I th and me especially, I thought we would see more of the Florida State UNC Tommy DeVito than the, the Western Michigan Tommy DeVito from last year. Uh, but it seems like we're getting the constant reminders of the, the Western Michigan last year that we saw uh, from Tommy DeVito in that performance. And he needs to have, he needs a pocket. I went back and looked at his high school tape. The kid had a clean pocket. Yeah, Every junior year, his yeah. line was ridiculous. He had a, a clean pocket, and the, and the kid turned into a baller. baller. Every All of a sudden, you, you put him in front of the... I'm not going to call him the suicide line. But, <laughs> but you put him in, behind that line, and as soon as he catches the ball, makes a read, he's got a tackle in his face. He's got a defensive end on his back. And when you're a quarterback and you're constantly trying to make a decision... On the defensive side of the ball, the perspective is we always loved when we could get pressure. We was the Scott Schaefer defense getting pressure on the quarterback. And the reason being is we don't want him to ever get comfortable. Because if he's never comfortable, he's make his timing gets thrown off because he's thinking about getting hit. He's wondering where that next blitz is. For us, it was where, where's that next blitz coming from? Uh, for DeVito, it seems to be where's that defensive end? Where's that tackle coming from? Yeah. Are, my line, are my running backs going to be able to pick up a blitz? And when you're thinking about the wrong things rather than getting the ball out of your hands and to the right guy, that's when you start to cause problems and you throw off the rhythm of the quarterback. And that's when you start to see issues like throwing the ball away on fourth down and not giving your offense a chance. And a, little, a lot of people were like, hey, Julian, well, why isn't he giving this guy? That's what causes it. When you're thinking about the wrong things and you're just on autopilot, all of a sudden you start making mistakes like that. And I didn't think it was the worst thing in the world. They were already down by 20, 30 points. But, yes, if you want to force a play right there, you need your quarterback cognizant of what's going on. But and when you're in panic mode and you're just trying to find a way to make a play, those kind of mistakes can happen. So I blame the offensive line right now. They got to find a way to get those two new tackles. Got to find a way to get those guys improved, uh, understanding where they need to be, picking up certain uh, gaps, uh, picking up blitzes, knowing where guys are. I mean, it's, they have to mesh and quickly. I always go back, and this is where Coach, I love Coach Bears as a coach, uh, because he talks about usually they get it. It just clicks, right? And all of a sudden you see how much better they become. We saw that in 2016. Uh, 2017 and last season. So I'm looking forward to this group meshing together, but it just needs to happen much sooner because uh, they got a huge opportunity, you know, after Clemson. I don't think they're winning that game, but after Clemson, uh, I think they have a huge opportunity to have a great season, but it's, it's got to start now, and I hope this, this week was a wake-up call. It's funny you mentioned Shafe because I think back two years to a week two game inside the Carrier Dome mm. when Eric Dungy got a lot of pressure, and, and we saw some kind of maybe out-of-character mistakes from him. Um, so it's not hard to see what pressure can do to a quarterback. I think right. your point about the offensive line is valid, and when I said – hey, they, they, their weaknesses are what they thought they would be. I mean, the, the offensive line is number one. Right. you got a redshirt freshman in Carlos Vitarello starting at left tackle on Tommy DeVito's blind side. And, and you know, credit to Carlos for working hard to getting here. Like He's in a brutal position. No one should have to be put in that position under a fourth-year head coach. But he gave up constant pressure against Maryland, going up against 
going up against linebackers. They got a couple lighter defensive ends. He really struggled with speed around the edge, and you saw Tommy try and step up. But because you got another first-year starter at right guard, a lot of times he's he's flushed from the pocket. So here's the thing: the offensive line might get a little better. You know, we'll see what what the status of Sam Heckel is, their center, and, and moving Aaron Service out there would certainly help. But it's still going to be a weakness of your team. So. How do you compensate for that? We've seen the two-back set. You can go max protect. You can have seven guys in there. And if, you're, if your receivers are good and your passing game is good, well, DeVito can throw guys open. We haven't gotten that far with the route running. So what, what I need to see this week is the scramble game needs to improve. There must have been seven or eight times where, where Tom was flushed from the pocket, and he's looking downfield to try and make plays. And, you know, maybe you want him to square up and, and, and open up the field a little bit in a shorter span of time. Maybe you want him to go take three or four yards. But he's getting to the sideline, and I'm looking and I'm seeing receivers just standing there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you think back to both of those fourth down throwaways. You saw throw the ball up to somebody. It's like you're working against the defender and the sideline at that point. That's a, that's a tough area, and I'm, I'm not saying necessarily he made all the right calls. But to me, the Nikeem Johnson play, that interception, mm-hmm. I think is just a microcosm of those issues. Now, I went back and watched that on my drive home from Maryland. I was in the passenger seat, so I wasn't driving while I was doing it. But DeVito rolls out. I think seven men coming on a six-man protection. So there's an extra guy. He eludes the safety, gets to gets to the right side, and he sees Nikeem Johnson turn toward the sideline when he throws the ball. Now he thinks Nikeem is going to turn around, give him a window right at the first down line, and you can keep this thing going. I think they were only down a couple scores at that point. You know, you're probably pushing a little bit, but frankly, you need it, right? And Nikeem steps out of bounds. And then on TV, it looks like he throws it right to the defensive back. And, I mean, my Twitter mentions are all like, what is he doing? What is he looking at? And, like, from my experience, and you can probably talk to this too, like when a play looks that bad, it, you're probably missing something because who is going to do that? There's an Elite 11 quarterback, you know? <laughs> so, to me, that's a microcosm. They, they need to work on it. They need to figure out, well, what's Tommy going to do in this situation? Should he run and slide for three yards? Do we want the receivers to check back more? Do we want to try and have him stop and, and, and catch someone sleeping on the other side of the field? Because the offensive line is going to be a problem. That situation is going to come up again. And frankly, they need to be better. And, and typically, you can we work on these things, too. Uh, scramble drills, knowing what to do as a receiver, where to go. Do we go to the middle of the field? Do we go up the field? These are things that teams practice. Like, we actively practice this back uh, in the NFL and in Buffalo and Pittsburgh and college. Teams practice these things because you should, as a receiver, know what to do. And I remember every receiver's coach always gets upset when guys just stand there because that's terrible for your off- offense. That kills the play entirely. Then you leave your quarterback out the drive because he has nowhere to go with the football. You can get him hit that way or you just waste it down. So certainly something that needs to improve quickly. Do you think part of it is guys, and someone asked me this on Twitter. I don't have the name up in front of me. I thought this was an insightful and interesting thought. Do you think guys are just used to playing with Eric Dungy where when he takes off, like, He's going, like, block, <laughs> block, dude, block. Like, he's not throwing you the ball. You know, I'm, I'm certain a little bit of those tendencies are sticking, but I, I can't allow receivers who've been working out with uh, DeVito for yeah, a, a, a good amount of time now to understand his tendencies, too, and how he's not probably not going to take off with the ball. He's going to look to throw the football, right. which, as a receiver, you should be excited about. <laughs> you should want the football. You should want to go up the field and try to go for 60. I, I I would be perplexed to just stand there and just watch unless I'm just completely tired, which which isn't an excuse at this point. It's week two. You had a bunch of you had camp. You've had plenty of offseason. There's no reason for that. So I, I, I don't understand it because as a receiver, you want to be open. You want the football.
I agree. I will say this. I do think defenses are playing that situation differently because Tommy, he, he has some speed. He has not really tried to run much yet. And you knew if you were playing against Syracuse in the last four years, mm-hmm. Eric Dungy's running. You know, so that that changes how defense defenses will play the scramble drill. I think it probably makes it harder for for those windows to come open on on both sides for Tommy and for the receivers. Um, but that, like I said, that's something they need to figure out. Um, what do you say we go to some fan questions? Absolutely. How does that sound? Now, surprisingly, almost all of these questions are about the defense. Mm. So let's see if we can find something that we have not covered yet. How concerned should the staff be with the linebacker core going forward? When Cisco leads the team in tackles, leads the team in tackles in a game, that's a problem. Why did it take so long for them to adjust to the run pass option? Let's focus on the last part of that. What, what did you see in defending the RPO, and, and, and how can those guys get better? I almost answered this in the beginning. It's because of the way that Maryland's offense was structured. Uh, again, when you rush the football a particular way and you've got linebackers with certain assignments to certain running backs, and then they also have passing assignments if they don't get the run, they're going to step up and then go to their gap. But if the gap changes, all of a sudden it's like, wait, wait a second. The guy comes out here, do I go here or do I come out? You know, there's, there's a thought process and a way to go about how you fit, your, fit up your gaps. Now, if all of a sudden it looks like run, you've been coached up on the sideline getting yelled at about being in a certain spot against the run, all of a sudden they put a, a tight end or a slot receiver behind you and hit you in the gap, he's like, dang, all right, now I got to be wary of that. So you start to hesitate a little bit. You're thinking, okay. Got the run. I know they have something here in the passing game that they can throw behind me. Let me compensate for that. Now you've got safeties behind you because the whole defense is working here. They're all saying to themselves, okay, how do we fix this? If you do this, I'm going to do that, right? So now you've got safeties coming down saying, okay, I need to be here. And then the show, it seems like one kind of pass play, one kind of pass route, and then it's another. And that's how you get beat on deeper routes. And we saw that constantly against Maryland. There were some plays, and I'm sure you guys saw it too, where it's like, yo, he's about to be wide. He's about to be 20 yards downfield. There's not going to be anybody. And sure enough, he was <laughs> wide open, 20 yards downfield with nobody around him. So, the, again, these things, they take time to, to, uh, to be able to defend. But uh, there was certainly a compounding effect here with what Maryland was doing between the run, the short passing game, and then eventually the long passing game. It reminded me a lot of Clemson. But, uh, again, hats off to that Maryland offense because they did a fantastic job. Thanks to Rel Loren for that one. Another one here from Deep Deep Harge. Where did the tempo go? Wouldn't that help hide personnel deficiencies? Yeah, Syracuse has not run a lot of plays the last two games. I don't know if that's so much an intentional game plan as it is a product of turning the ball over. You know, we've seen five turnovers over the last two weeks, including one in special teams by Sean Riley. So that, you know, that negates a whole possession. I also think it's tough when you can't run the ball. As we, we've talked about the offensive line, when you can run the ball, you put yourself in deceptive positions. If you know what your call is going to be on a second and four, you can, you're running RPO or you're running something, something that you know you can go. When you're in second and 12 and, you know, third and eight, and you're, you're, you're thinking. You're, you know, if, you're, if, if I'm Mike Lynch, I'm thinking, well, what do, what do I call? And if you're not stringing first downs together, to me, to me, that all just compounds. I don't think it's an intentional thing where they're not trying to go fast. I think between the offensive line, the issues with, with kind of the receiving game, um, and the turnovers, to me, that's all kind of put, put them in that position. Uh, let's get one more in here. Uh, it's not a question, but from Cuse Dan, we looked good when we ran a five-wide receiver empty back offense. They actually had Abdul Adams usually split out for that, but 
But what did you see from that, Julian? And, and what are kind of the pros and cons with, with a bad offensive line of going five wide? Five wide offense, typically you're trying to get the ball out quickly because you've only got five linemen, and if you get a blitz, that ball has to come out, right? So then you start to see more man coverages when there's blitzes behind that. And then when, when I mean, you've got man coverage, you find somebody inside, make a quick move, boom, you got your slant. Boom, you got the out. Boom, you got a curl. You try to get the ball out quickly, and you can become more efficient that way because it's boom, boom, the play happens. Now all of a sudden you can get to your next one. That's where tempo starts to come in. If it's against a zone, you typically – you see the corners backed off and you have your receivers have room to, to get into their route tree to create route combinations that can mix up zone coverages all of a sudden the quarterback knows where he wants to go with the football you're reading one or two guys that's how this offense is built you only want to read a linebacker a safety or corner depending on what they do this is where i'm going to go with the football so it gives you much more passing options and against the zone defense when you're only making one or two reads where this offense is comfortable i think that helps devito kind of settle down and get the ball out where he needs to go all right, I think that's all we got for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to all the guys I met in the Fine Mess Tailgate out in College Park. Appreciate all the, the kind words about the podcast. If you're just tuning in now, please subscribe. Give us five stars. If you would like to purchase advertising and sponsor our show, you could get your name here. Contact Dylan Carpenter at 315-470-6069. And for Julian Wiggum and myself, Stephen Bailey, We'll talk to you Thursday because even though college game day isn't coming, uh, I, think, I think we'll have a lot to talk about before Clemson. We can match up with game day, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, come see us at Hendricks. We'll, uh, we'll get you in the background of the podcast.